Sat Nam. I'm Guru Prakarmakar. Guru Singh and I travel the world, loving to meet an ever-growing global community. We are appreciative of your vital role on this planet, for it is your willingness to be here and listen that calls forth wisdom, that activates our collective voice in service. Your questions bring forth the answers. For a wealth of information about who we are and what we do, please visit gurusing.com. Bless you. So let's breathe ourselves here. Satnam. So I'm going to start slightly unusual today by asking a question that requires an answer. And one of the things that I want you to comprehend in answering is that, in fact, it doesn't matter if you give a correct answer. It matters that you have the courage to give it a try. Because that's the only thing that enables growth, is courage. Kur, the heart, aj, the time of. And let me just explain that we were absolutely terrified to give a wrong answer throughout our lives. Because the whole emphasis in the undeveloped world that we live in is being right. Whereas the whole desire of life is to be happy. And you can be completely wrong and have the most uproarious belly laugh at your mistake. But it's rare that when you're only attempting to be right that you actually have a belly laugh. As a matter of fact, they say that young children have hundreds of belly laughs every month. And for people over 30, it's hard to remember your last one. Now, I don't think that that applies to those of you in here because you've probably had many in the last month. And now you're going. <laughs> so my question to you is a very simple question and actually a very simple answer. And please be right or wrong. What is unique about the human life in comparison to all other life, whether it's mineral life, plant life, or animal life? Don't feel shy. I'm rarely on time. <laughs> You know what they say, you can set your watches by when Guru Singh doesn't arrive. <laughs> okay. So, yes? I think humans, or human life is one that um, tries to constantly prove itself different than it is, better than it is. Okay. Most of other life is, is it. Okay. Excellent. Yes? The ability to believe in myth. Aha. Uh -huh. Excellent. Yes? Okay. Okay. Yes? Choice. Excellent. Yes? Excellent. Yes? Yes. Language. Yes? We complicate things. Yes. Yes. Okay, it was language, we complicate things, and then that extended version of, thank you, beautiful, yes? Most of the time we choose suffering. Ha, huh. we choose suffering. Yes? Awareness of self and contemplation. Awareness of self and contemplation. And contemplation. Excellent, 
artistic expression. Beautiful. Yes. Ability to love all beings. Yes. Compassion. Yes. We have an ego. And wherever ego, we go. We could do a stand-up routine, you know. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes? Addicted to separation. Addicted to separation. Oh, beautiful. All right. And now I'll give you mine. As opposed to a teacher that says, and now here's the right answer. <laughs> right? Because a fact is not always a truth. When the earth was flat, that was a fact. Because everybody abided by that fact. And everybody believed that fact, at least in Europe. But it wasn't the truth. So now I'll give you my differentiation. The tongue and the hands. And the tongue and the hands, and that, please, don't think that that overrides your answers because all of your answers were correct. And I applaud you for offering them. So now let's focus on today's theme, which is about mantra, the tongue, and the hands. First of all, you were an embryo, and that's known as the flower bud. And then you blossomed into the fetus, okay, in the womb. As an embryo, the cells that were producing both the brain and the hands were in the exact same area of the embryo. And if you look at an embryo that has been drawn upon to show how the petals of the bud emerge, you will find that the embryo is actually holding its brain. So the connection between the brain and the hands begins at the very beginning. And it continues throughout our life. And that's why when we're doing mantra, man means mind and tra means projection. So when we're projecting from the universal mind, there's a connection between the brain, which has the immediate access to mind, and the hands. So you put your hands in a particular mudra, and all of a sudden that connection that took place in the very origins of your physical body are reconnected. The tongue. The strongest muscle group, because it's a group, in the entire body, and the most complex muscle group in the entire body is the tongue, is the human tongue. Now that isn't true with other animals. The complexity of the tongue, 17 unique muscle groups, and every muscle group in our body, plus every gland, plus every organ, plus every bone, is housed in a net of fascia. And those connections between the net bags, it's almost like, you know, those laundry bags that you have that you can pack away and they're like, they look, they look like a net. And, and those nets are all held in place around one central adhesion. And that central adhesion is your navel point. The, the navel point is the only pre-surgical adhesion. I mean, those who have had surgery oftentimes have other adhesions. Adhesion is just like that. It, it's adhering to something. And basically, an adhesion is usually where the internals of the body is adhered to the outer surface of the body. So your navel point is that central adhesion around which all fascia is connected. 
And Yogi Bhajan used to say, otherwise, when you drove around a sharp corner, everything would slosh to the side and then get all tangled up in, you know, you know, pre-automobile humans would have been really great and then post-automobile humans would have been really weird. And then somebody said, but that's the way it is. <laughs> and he said, well, that's because of other reasons. So every one of these 17 unique muscle groups inside the tongue has the ability. The only other thing in animal worlds that is similar to the human tongue are the ears of the canines and the felines, right? You, I mean, if you, have you ever checked out how many different positions they can put those things in, you know? And you got one position, you know, it's like, what's that? If you need to hear better, you put your hand up there, right? But they just go, Honk. <laughs> so, this tongue has been developing in this way for hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions, excuse me, hundreds of millions of years. The mammalian brain, which produced this tongue, the brain of mammals, the mammalian brain, began at about 350 million years ago. And it, it, the mammals laid in the background because there was the dominant of the reptilians, hmm? the dinosaurs and all. They were the dominant species, the reptilians, which were cold-blooded, yes? And what do you say about somebody that's not nice? You're very, <laughs> you're cold-blooded, right? Cold-blooded means that it actually doesn't have a relationship with others, hmm? And so the heart center in a cold-blooded animal only has a relationship with self. So the reptilian form that we've all passed through was for the purpose of gaining access to self. Because you have to. You have to gain access to self in order to express and then ultimately in order to surrender. You can't surrender if you have nothing to surrender. And that is a whole nother conversation because that's what's happening in today's world. Today's world of massive aggression is about achieving that ultimate sense of self, which will ultimately then sublimate into a significant surrender if all goes well. So this tongue was developing. Now, one time, I was told by Yogi Bhajan to build a shed behind where he was living at the time, which is Guru Ramdas Ashram across the street and down a bit. So I'm building this shed. I've got my wood, I've got a table saw, I've got all kinds of stuff back there and I'm building this shed. About seven hours into building this shed, he comes out and says, you're still building the shed? <laughs> it's like, you should have had ten sheds built by now. Stimulation. <laughs> Let me help you. If you ever have a moment when your teacher says something that you just wish was not the case, this was that moment. Because if you've ever been working, you know, with wood and somebody that has never worked with wood says, let me help you, usually you can say, no, that's okay. But you don't say, no, that's okay to your teacher. You just say, excellent. <laughs> So, the next job that I had to do, well, no, f I forgot something. He starts becoming the boss. Okay? Put this here, put this here, put this here. Man, I'm going like this, I'm going like this. And then I run out of things that are pre-cut and I have to cut a four by eight sheet of plywood on the table saw. 
Well, a four by eight sheet of plywood cut on a table saw is best done with one person. Because one person cannot bind the wood. But a second person will pull the wood or push the wood in a direction other than the first person, and that is the grounds for disaster. All right? So, Yogi Bhajan says, okay, let me be the one that pushes the wood. And I say, okay, well then that means that I'm going to be one that pulls the wood, and what I would like you to do is not actually push the wood. <laughs> because I can pull the wood, and the table saw is turning towards him, right? So the direction of the blade is towards him, and I'm pulling the wood, keeping the two pieces of wood that are coming out of the table saw enough separated so that it doesn't bind. And the one thing that the person pushing the wood cannot do is push harder on one hand than the other because that will bind against the side of the blade, which is, again, grounds for disaster. I said, okay, sir, please just have your hands on the wood, but don't push. That lasted for maybe 14 seconds. So we're... And I'm thinking, this is going well. This is going well. And then all of a sudden, I have a hold of the wood, and all of a sudden, I don't have a hold of the wood anymore because it has flown at about 60 miles an hour in the opposite direction. And it catches Yogi Bhajan in the navel point, and he goes like this, and falls on his back. I can't see him because the deck of the table saw is hiding my view of him, and I think, oh my God, I've killed the teacher. Because there's no sound, there's no movement. But what came out of his mouth was what was so perfect. What would come out of most people's mouths is with a big expletive. And he, all of a sudden, there's movement on the other side of the table saw, and I think, oh, thank God. You know, there's no 911, but I was about to load him into my car. So he, he sits up, he folds his hands in easy pose. He's got this piece of plywood all tracked up against him. And he looks at me and he says, Good advice. <laughs> he was so calm and so neutral. Good advice. <laughs> And that was the only time in the entire history of my relationship with him while in body that he ever told me good advice. <laughs> what came out of his mouth was that which he was inclined towards. And that is why we continuously, continuously chant mantra. It's called Nam Simran, repeating mantra. Because when it comes to that moment when there is something going to happen, and also particularly to that moment after which nothing is going to happen, the moment of your passing, that which you are to be inclined towards should be that which is the highest frequency that you can utter with your tongue and your heart from your lungs and your diaphragm. So that whole mechanism which got triggered by that plywood smacking him in the belly, that <laughs> needs to be something like, oh my God, or wahigadu, or wow, or whatever, but it needs to be an enthusiastic exclamation that helps to traject you from, don't worry if your phone is ringing, when you hear the bells up here, you think, oh, meditative sounds. No, it's calls and texts coming in. 
So just a word of, of advice, mask them so nobody, you know, everybody goes, oh wow, instead of turn off your phone, right? So this tongue has been developing all the time that we have been developing the head brain. And the head brain, as we said, has been developing long before mammals. So the head brain has been developing since the beginning of life on Earth about three and a half billion years ago. And the head brain developing throughout that time is all about the survival of the species so that the species can evolve in order to plant you into those differentiations that all of you spoke of earlier. The differentiations of what is the human. And the human is the one that can, that can, that can, that can, that can. All those things that you said is truly what makes us unique. And the tongue has this capacity to be guided by that uniqueness and can express that which will either accelerate us or depress us. Now, saying something that will depress us is a little bit like eating sugar. The depression doesn't come until later. When you eat sugar, the first instance is cool. Wow. Neat. Later, when that rush wears off, that's when you feel the sugar blues. When you say something, somebody said something that when you were talking about the uniqueness of humans um, that was likened to, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was likened to creating sympathy. Yes, that's true. The human being is the only creature that, that actually enjoys sympathy or actually expresses sympathy. No other creature expresses sympathy. And the interesting, they, they can express concern, but they can't express sympathy. And sympathy is a path to empathy, empathy is a path to compassion, which is the purpose of sympathy in the first place. But we often get trapped in sympathy because it's such a candy bar. You know, we get a, we get a sugar addiction and we just start, this is, you know, and we just start going for it. And so we will set up circumstances in our lives that will attract that sympathy. So the human being, in order to be able to project that enthusiasm in times of challenge and not create the uh, acquisition of sympathy or that, that immediate rush of something that's, that's going to take us down into depression, needs to train itself. And that's why and that's why, that's why we develop this capacity to do mantra. Someone posted on a Facebook page, and I checked to see if it was actually posted on mine, but I don't know all the ins and outs of Facebook. All I know is that there is such a thing, and that I'm on it, and people, do, and people put my quotes up on it and do those things. But this person had who was a friend of somebody, I guess, who was a friend of mine, so their thing shows up in my feed, whatever. You could say, no, that's not right, you're saying, and I'll say, okay. <laughs> but anyway, it came, into my, it came into my phone, and it said, Yogi Bhajan, okay, confusing Kundalini Yoga. I thought, let's read. And it said, he uses mantras that were not in the original Vedas, basically. And I thought, interesting, because healthy am I, happy am I, holy am I, which is a mantra that we do, certainly wasn't in the original Vedas in English. But times are changing, right? So you maintain the core of the teachings and you add that to it which needs to be applied to the times. Because if you go into a school, and would we agree that teaching yoga in schools is healthy? Yes. 
If you go into the schools and you say, okay, now we're going to chant Ong Namo Gurudev Namo, everybody's going to go, ah, religion in schools, right? So you're going to be blocked out. So Yogi Bhajan gave us countless ways in which we could use the, okay, children, let's chant, healthy am I, happy am I, holy am I, uh-oh, holy am I, healthy am I, happy am I, whole am I. And the teacher goes, oh, that's so beautiful. And the superintendent goes, oh, that's so beautiful, right? And nobody thinks anything, yes? And then when you give them the Kriya, the Kriya is the Kriya. So I'm not criticizing this person for criticizing. As a matter of fact, criticism is, a, is an essential component because it allows you to develop your alternative. Without pressure, there can be no identity. And so I applaud this person for somehow finding their way into my Facebook feed and giving me the stimulation to be able to really, really clearly see what is going on. 500 years ago, Baba Chand, who was a Kundalini Yogi, by the way, it also said is turning it into a, uh, uh, trying to turn all Kundalini Yogis into Sikhs, which isn't true, but it's interesting because all Sikh Gurus were Kundalini Yogis, but be that as it was, the, not a problem. I'm not having a problem with it. But Baba Chand was the person who actually set the Ishtang Mantra, Ek Kar as the root mantra. And if you do the Aquarian Sadhana, hmm, you know that that's the first mantra that we do in the Aquarian Sadhana. As a matter of fact, that was the first mantra that Yogi Bhajan ever gave us when he came in January of 1969, the Ishtang Mantra. And so there are, there are beautiful threads through the fabric of Kundalini Yoga. And mantra is such an essential component. Now, we do this stretching into the body glove so that what yogis call the two spoiled children of human existence, the body and the mind. So we stretch into the body glove with our asanas and our kriyas in order that that spoiled child is well taken care of. And when a spoiled child is well taken care of, it doesn't complain as much. And how does the human body complain? I'm stiff. I don't like this exercise. I'm going to stop now, even though we haven't been told to inhale. Right? And some of these complaints are legitimate. One of the things that we're not here is to prove what we can do. We're here to improve all that we attempt to do. So that takes care of the spoiled child of the body. What takes care of the spoiled child of the mind, the brain-mind connection? Chanting. Chanting. Chanting is what takes all the words that are taking place in your brain all the time and focuses as much of them as possible into the syllables of mantra. So you take all of this and you focus it into God and me, me and God are one. And in mantra, you have a combination of vowel, which makes the sound, and consonant, which directs the sound. And so when you have a mantra, particularly those initial mantras, those, those primal mantras. Uh, a, an example of a primal mantra is Om 
and ong. You know? Ong, do it. Ong. Namo. Namo. Guru Dave. Guru Dave. And so the Ong opened the head chamber. All animals that live on the surface of the earth are divided into three chambers. It is true for animals of the ocean, excuse me, all mammals that live on the surface of the earth. It is true also for mammals of the ocean, but it's not as clearly distinguished. But all mammals that live on the surface of the earth have a head chamber and a chest chamber and an abdominal chamber. And each one of these chambers is to be opened before you start yoga. And so that's why we chant Aung Namo Guru Dev Namo. The Aung is in the head, you know, the NG sound takes us into the, the head chamber. And the NMBP, those consonants force the sound down into the abdominal chamber. That's why there's words such as Mama, Nana, Baba, and Papa, because all those words relate to those are the people that supply me with my with my goods you know as a small infant those are the people you know the mother the father the grandparents right the the mama papa and the nana nani nana and the baba hmm? those are the those are the people that supply this then the g r de comes out of the chest. Now let's chant it again and just be aware of those chambers because the, the abdominal chamber is very subtle. But the matter that na, mo. So the na, the n is just at the beginning. And then it's na, and then there's this long ah, which could be in the throat. But the fact that you've closed off the, the mouth with the tongue Threw, threw it down, and you can feel it down there. If you just go, ah, you definitely feel it in your throat. But if you go, nah, you can definitely feel it in your abdomen. Hmm? So let's do it again and feel it. of all of that, you have 
a secondary voice going, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. Your primary voice is coming out of the heart, lungs, diaphragm, throat, tongue. That secondary voice, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, right, which you could ha ask somebody to chant and they would have that secondary voice. This is nonsense, this is crazy, this is cult, this is whatever. That is coming out of the head brain. And the head brain is here to protect us from danger. And when the head brain begins to believe that there's danger, it becomes hyperactive. And sitting in the head brain is the pituitary gland, which is the master gland. When the head brain is hyperactive, the pituitary gland is radioing to the adrenals. And what do the adrenals say? Fight or flight. flight. Hmm? Now, the new evolution, the new evolution is all about the heart brain. Medical science calls it the fourth brain. There's true neurology in the heart. And just like the infantile beginnings of the head brain, three and a half billion years ago, the heart brain is in its infancy. But it doesn't have three and a half billion years to develop. It's got about 35 years. But that's okay because this, remember um, the Mayan calendar event and all of that? Hmm? Well, the Mayan calendar was based on evolutionary um, uh, capacity. And for a certain amount of information to be evolved through the, the system, the living system on Earth, in the initial stages of the Mayan calendar, which were these stages that they talk about, this amount, and I'm doing this as a metaphor, this amount of information took four and a half billion years to evolve through the system of life. As of 1221.12, which was the cutoff point of the Mayan calendar, that same amount of information that took four and a half billion years now took 12 seconds. I don't know if any of you remember early computing, but they used to have a joke that when you sent an email, go and make breakfast, and when you came back, the email would have been sent. You know, because that's how slow things were. And that's because of the bandwidth. And now, there's a larger bandwidth, and some people are still working on the old system, but the children you know, these children they call indigo children, crystal children, you know, all of these. These children actually are born with a much larger bandwidth. You know, we're like dial-up. They're like, you know, like major network kind of bandwidth where they're broadcasting television shows. We're just trying to broadcast a few words typed out. Do you understand? So evolution is truly evolving and the younger generation is going to be absorbing this stuff at a massive rate. So 35 years for us to get this evolutionary process is enough if we work at it, okay? And if we work at it, Yogi Bhajan always said, the race is fixed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it's fixed in our favor. So it's good to know that. That gives you a sense of hope. And hope connects the heart brain. So when you, when you override doubt by having some routine, because doubt crops up in all of us, it's part of the human mechanism, when you have a routine that will take place when doubt comes in, you know, the routine should not be to, to criticize doubt because if 
if you criticize something which is not going to help you, it will get stronger, right? So you go, oh, wow, doubt. Thank God you're back. I've been missing you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to doubt that what I'm doing will fail. So you assign its doubt to double doubt so that, you know, doubt failure means success, correct? So a double negative produces the positive and the end result is my pick. The end result is that it works. And how do you, how do you best show those things which crop up in your head brain which will block your heart brain from being activated and, and accentuated. How do you best work what Yogi Bhajan, and he loved rhymes, Yogi Bhajan loved rhymes. He said, embrace, embrace to erase. sitting in easy pose. sun finger are connected and your other two fingers are like that because this is the head brain and this is the heart brain okay so you want to show that you don't have favoritism and in there, isn't it interesting that our head brain is our littlest finger and it causes us the most <laughs> ah, do the math <laughs> Healthy am I, happy am I, holy am I, I am, I am, healthy. Healthy am I, 
experience your heart. interesting thing about the heart brain is that once we begin to truly activate the heart brain we can't help but live in the moment and when we are truly in the moment we can't help but be in love so everybody equates the heart with love. But the heart brain has no emotions whatsoever. The heart brain has what Yogi Bhajan called the beauty of duty. The heart brain just beats. It doesn't get distracted and it doesn't get attracted. So you think, oh, this is a heartfelt relationship. Well, if you understand, thanks, if you understand that the heart brain allows you to enter the moment and the moment allows you to experience the love that is, it's not that you and I love each other, because that's an expression of, of, of a doing, that we actually do something. But when we both arrive in the moment, we experience the love that is, and love is everywhere. It's the ocean in which life dwells. And so when we use mantras, it allows us to bring both the lungs and the heart and the diaphragm into the process of neurology. And then we have this, now we're in the moment, because this is just thinking about the moment. This is going, gee, I wish the moment was different, or this is a great moment, or I wish I could get in the moment, you know. It's just talking. This is experiencing. Mm -hmm. 
And the moment we're in this, we experience what is, and then we go, oh. And why do we have that with some people and not with others? Because our head brain has this sense of recognition. So when we recognize things about a person, we don't recognize the person, but we recognize from lifetimes ago. We recognize the look in those eyes, combined with the shape of that nose, combined with the shape of those lips, combined with the sound of that voice. Whenever we hear something that reminds us of something that was truly great, our head brain relaxes and our heart brain suddenly wells up. And we have that experience of love at first sight. You know, you can't have, there's no second chance for a first impression, right? And so all of a sudden, you have this sensation of love at first sight. If you calibrate yourself properly, and you live in your heart brain, you can have love at first sight all the time. There's a song when I was growing up called Love Potion Number Nine. <laughs> and one of the lines in the song was, when I, when I kissed the lamp post at 34th and Vine, because it was about Hollywood, right? I think it was 34th and Vine, not that there is such a street, but there is Vine. You know, when I kissed a lamp post at 34th and Vine, I broke my little bottle of love potion number nine. Right? And what it was basically talking about is that when you are in the state of now, doesn't matter if it's a lamp post or your best friend, <laughs> you love them both equally. And mantra can assist us in silencing the head brain to the degree that the head brain surrenders to the heart brain. And then what happens in your life is the heart brain draws the map, the head brain keeps you on track. The heart brain draws the map, the head brain keeps you on track. That's a quotable quote. Take hold of your knees. And let's get the body so that it stops being a spoiled child. Let's stretch into it. We're doing Sufi grind. And remember, you can either swivel or swizzle. Don't you love it? That's so fantastic. The last thing we want to do in a yoga class is get uptight or upset about anything. So. Let's all just have a fun time when somebody's phone goes off. It's just another excuse to laugh. Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever-expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more.